I'm Letitia, host of the New Leaf podcast, created for new and working mums everywhere. Over the course of this series, I interview women from a variety of industries to share their journeys of what happened to their professional and personal identities when they had their babies and headed back to work, exploring the good, the bad, and the ugly. The motherhood space can be a scary one, but it doesn't have to be. By interviewing women in all spaces and lines of work and sharing their different experiences, I want to show you that there is no one right way and that we're all kind of winging it. My mission is to revolutionize the way we look at pregnancy, birth and motherhood, taking the judgment, pressure and expectations out and putting the confidence back in so that one day we can all say that it's my motherhood, my choice. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at New Leaf Podcast if you want to continue the conversation with the hashtag MyMotherhoodMyChoice. Goodness me, what a joyful episode this was to record. The sparkling, bubbly Charlie Barker joins me on episode five of New Leaf to talk all things identity, body image, fertility, self-judgment and work-life balance this week. And wow, she does not disappoint. I think this episode was in my top five of all time favourites to record. I actually didn't want the conversation to end. What was supposed to be just an hour morphed into nearly two. So this was definitely a challenge to edit, but for all the right reasons. We were up at the crack of dawn on a weekend to accommodate Charlie's schedule as a busy mum to eight-month-old Alfie, together with her booming Bumps and Burpees empire, a community of like-minded women all looking to improve their pre- and postnatal well-being with specially designed workouts and advice for women embarking on their baby journey. So we wasted no time exploring her own journey, from university graduate working in a virgin active gym all the way to published author, business tycoon and social media master, focusing in particular on how becoming a mum has changed both her personal and professional identity. Charlie is a great example of doing things her own way and really embodying the my motherhood, my choice mantra that I keep plugging away at in this series, continuing to work and grind away after having Alfie because she is quite literally so committed to the cause of what she does, and she is riding on a wonderful wave of success. Charlie is a picture-perfect example of someone who is so utterly passionate about what they do that success greets them with open arms, of course, after a ton of graft and hard work. For someone like Charlie, who's been embroiled in the maternity world for such a long time without being a mum, I found her journey from a miscarriage all the way to her little rainbow baby, fascinating and inspiring. Of course, Charlie had more of an introduction to the fertility and motherhood community than most women, six years worth from when she launched Bumps and Burpees in 2014. Yet, she still grapples with the same challenges and questions all mums do. How do I get time to myself? Gosh, I'll be so much freer when I stop breastfeeding. Why won't they take puree off a spoon, etc.? It goes to show that there really is no book, as she says, because so much of early motherhood feels like poking around in the dark, praying that you're doing the right thing. The secret being that you're always doing the right thing. I thought Charlie's commentary around birth experience was particularly refreshing. Charlie had an extremely positive birth experience, but because of her mode of delivery, people were quick to jump in with a label or an assumption that it was quote-unquote traumatic. 
it reminded me to not presume people have had a good or bad experience based on what we are made to believe is positive or negative, according to whatever society is pushing at the time. For a long time, I believed that only natural birth with minimal intervention was positive and that anything with any sort of intervention was negative. I was practically phobic about medical intervention in my birth. The deep irony being, of course, my emergency C-section, which actually was very positive as a birth experience. Every single motherhood journey and story is unique. Our physiologies and temperaments are different. Our anatomies are different. And sweeping generalizations about you did this, therefore, or I did this, therefore you should or shouldn't, are unhelpful and unnecessarily judgmental when we already get enough of that, don't we? We have a fantastic positive birth movement wave at the moment, centered around empowering women in their own birth experiences. But for what it's worth, I interpreted this and the course I did in this vein during my own pregnancy, that if I had intervention, it would be bad and it would somehow make it a negative experience and all because of something I had done or hadn't tried hard enough with, whatever that means. And I wonder how many other women feel this way, that they actually had a good experience, even though other people were saying or implying that it should have been bad. So when I had my pretty much maximum intervention experience, I judged it and it took me a while to accept that actually it had been really positive. Charlie is an excellent reminder to do things our own way, which feels particularly poignant now that I'm in my second pregnancy. I am extremely intrigued to see where Charlie goes, because as you'll hear in the interview, she is a force of nature. Absolutely watch this space, because this girl is going on to some very big things. Before we begin, I've got something extra special for you. Click the episode details to subscribe to New Leaf Nutshell, my exclusive monthly write-up straight to your phone to break down and summarise some of the most controversial motherhood topics in a nutshell. My first article was settling the breast and bottle debate for anyone who's struggling with breastfeeding, but I've since moved on to the somewhat murky world of sleep training. I've referenced nearly 100 academic articles to give you impartial and well-researched advice with none of the judgement doing all of the googling so you don't have to. Right, let's get on with my next lovely guest. It gives me great pleasure to introduce Charlie Barker. Welcome Charlie. Hello, thanks for having me on. I am beyond excited for this interview (laughs) so I'm gonna try and rein it in but we'll see. Might I also add we're recording this on a Saturday at eight o'clock in the morning so I gather from this that, Charlie, you've already been up for a few hours if you yeah. have an eight cold. I mean, I was going to say it feels like lunchtime to me, so don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> At that sort of stage, anything after four is acceptable. Anything before four, it's definitely still nighttime. But 4am onwards, is, it's the morning, just get up. Yeah, if he wakes up after four or maybe after 4.30, it's, oh God, I think this is it. I think we're not going to get back down again. <laughs> we had a, a 5.45, so not terrible. 5.45 is pretty good, I'd I agree, say. I agree. My standards have changed over the past seven months. Yeah, I can imagine. So tell me, where are you in the world right now and what can you see in front of you? Oh, good question. So I'm actually in Surrey. We just moved here two weeks ago. So what I can see is a lot of cardboard boxes. I'm, I'm sat on a makeshift desk, which is made up of four cardboard boxes and a plank of, <laughs> plank of wood. So hang on. So your desk is actually boxes? 
it's the legs are boxes because my husband's working from home he was sitting on the bed and leaning on the windowsill for a week and his back was not enjoying that so we made a, a makeshift desk for him out of the boxes oh my god you're the second person I've had that's been moving house with a month's old baby how have you found it I tell you what the hardest bit was packing up the last place because you can only really pack when he's asleep because he requires so much attention and of course you're like oh when he goes to bed tonight we'll just pack everything up and then every time he goes to bed you think oh god I'm so tired I'll do it tomorrow so that (laughs) bit was the most stressful we, we actually got removal guys to help us because we needed some somebody to just take control and the actual moving day was less stressful he was so shocked to see people you know he's been a lockdown baby so he was just like whoa it's what is going on um so that was fine what did happen though is his sleep went absolutely all over the shop because a lot was changing he was in a new place and those first two nights my goodness we did not get much sleep but it's all leveled out now it's fine we're here And do you have a system with your partner about who does night shifts or who doesn't or how does that all work? I've been breastfeeding him in the night. So actually it's been me. But since we've been here, he did one crazy night where I didn't feed him for the first time he woke up and then he didn't wake up again, which is the first time that's ever happened. So unfortunately for him, he showed me his cards and he showed me that he doesn't need to be fed in the night. And actually, touch wood, we haven't had a horrendous time settling him. It's just been like 10 minutes. So what we're doing now is taking it in turns to get up early with him because even sleeping in till 7am just feels like such a luxury. So we each take it in turns to get that extra hour. Yeah, it's definitely a night shift and a morning shift. That's how you do it. (laughs) Yeah. So I just wanted to describe how we know each other or rather don't know each other. But essentially, the crazy world of Instagram, I've been aware of bumps and burpees for a long time, ages, I guess, because people knew that I was kind of into fitness. And I I honestly think about 10 people probably Mm -hmm. said at some point, oh, have you heard of bumps and burpees? I was like, literally, why do you keep going on about this account? (laughs) And then checked it out and was like, oh, I get it. It's because it's really great. (laughs) Yeah, so it's basically by that. And you were in the back of my mind for ages and ages. And then one of my listeners, she's a big fan of the podcast, messaged me out of the blue and said, do you take suggestions? And I said, yeah. And she said, you should totally interview the founder of Bumps and Burpees. And I thought, oh, she would be great. I said, getting her to come on though, that's a different kettle of fish. So of course you'd be fantastic, but getting her to come on might be a challenge. And then I just thought, series two, let's just go for it, see what happens. And I dropped Charlie an email and she had replied to me the same day. And here we are. (laughs) And here we are like four days later. You got me me on a day where I was on it. So having a baby, often I read an email during a feed or something. And then it's, oh, God, a few days later, I've forgotten to even reply. But you got me when I was on my emails. So bam, the reply came straight back. (laughs) Just meant to be. What can I say? So that's how we know each other. Firstly, tell me about your tiny person. Tell me about Alfie. Oh, he is fab. So Alfie is almost eight months old. So he was born in the hideous heat wave that we had in August, where it was about 50 degrees in London. He was a week overdue. So that was fun. <laughs> I, was, I was just <laughs> couldn't even think I was so hot and just so pregnant. He came out with a head of very blonde hair. So if you haven't seen a picture of me, I'm very blonde. And I just assumed he'd come out bald because most blonde babies tend not to have any hair, but he came Mm. out with so much white hair. It was crazy. Like a tiny Santa. 
Yes, exactly. And it's funny because my great granddad was called Alf. And so it's funny because he came out looking like a granddad because he had so much white hair. So that was really nice. But yeah, we didn't know we were having a boy. So that was lovely to have that surprise at the end. Although I did just expect we'd have a boy. I don't know why. I just got that feeling. Did you make that decision to not find out? My husband was really keen to have a surprise and I was fine either way. So because he was so keen, I was like, okay, let's go with you. But in that 20 week scan, I really thought he might go, okay, let's just find out. But he didn't. He was so strong about it. And actually some of my friends who've become pregnant after we've had him have changed their mind and actually not found out because they said it was so lovely to not know with us. So I think, especially for your first one, unless you have a strong preference to what you're going to have, I think you don't need to find out. But what else about him? He is a cheeky boy. He's just got his first tooth come through. We are starting weaning the last few weeks. So it's all going here. He said mama obviously he doesn't know what that means he doesn't call call me it but instead of dada he went mama and obviously I'm absolutely thrilled and this week he started waving at himself in the mirror honestly it breaks my heart it's just the sweetest thing (laughs) it's one of those things where before babies and people say things like that you're like oh great he started waving like amazing and then when you actually have a baby, you're like, this is amazing. <laughs> I like, he's so advanced. I can't believe it. But what was funny is that he's waving at himself, which just encompasses the whole lockdown baby thing. Like, well, he's not really oh, met any him. other babies, which is just so strange. Eight months as well. So I'm just like, kind of like doing the maths and going backwards because that is a proper pandemic baby. We managed to have our 20-week scan two weeks before we went into that first lockdown. So I was so lucky because George, my husband, could come to both of the, you know, the big scans. And that was really nice because I know that a lot of people haven't been able to have their partners at these appointments. But after that, it was like masks on, me on my own in the appointments. And even when I went in because of lack of movement and things like this, I was by myself. And it's really frightening and quite lonely and horrible. So we were really lucky that when he was actually born in August, it was in between lockdowns. So as much as George couldn't be there the entire time I was in the hospital, he was there for the majority of it. And it meant that when we came home with him, our family could visit. So we were lucky in that sense because we weren't in the thick of a lockdown. But basically after that, we went back into it. So we've been to no baby classes. Our NCT group, we met a couple of times all together in the park. But since then, it's had to be like one-on-one. So it's taken away quite a few things that I was really looking forward to, like music classes and swimming and that kind of thing. Mm. But we've made do. You know, I don't know any different. It's my first baby. But I I really can't wait to have the maternity leave that I was dreaming of, really. And we're going to come on to this because obviously you have your own business and that's complicated when it comes to things like maternity leave or <laughs> lack <that>? thereof. <laughs> yeah, what maternity leave, as I'm probably about to discover. But I know that obviously Bumps and Burpees has been going for longer than you've had Alfie. So what did you do pre-baby? Just take me through your kind of fitness journey and how you got to where you are now. So I grew up in the sport of gymnastics. I was so into it. It was my whole entire life. I trained 20 hours a week, then would drive to competitions on the weekend, everything like that. And it's such a young sport. So when I got to university, it was the end of gymnastics. And I was studying a sport and coaching degree. And I loved the sort of rigidity of a a training plan and things like this. And when I stopped doing gymnastics, I felt a bit lost from that. And I had to figure it out for myself. And so I was helping friends at university with their gym plans and things like that. And when I left university, I did my PT qualification and 
I started working in a mainstream gym in a Virgin Active in London. And I think just the nature of me and what I'm like, I got quite a few mum clients because they were the women I was chatting to in the gym and they kind of were drawn to me. And then one of the trainers who was working in the gym, she had cornered the mum market there. She just had all the mums. You know how it is. You tell your other friends and they tell their other friends. And she just had all the local mums. Anyway, she moved to Newcastle and she said to me, would you like to take on my clients? So all of a sudden it was like, I I went from having three clients to 15 and they were all mums. And then some of those mums got pregnant again. So I made sure I was doing all my right qualifications in pre and postnatal. And before I knew it, I was only training mums. And I realized that I enjoyed it a lot because there's nothing wrong with training someone who just wants to lose a bit of weight or get a bit stronger. But I found that with training mums and expectant mums, they had a different level of motivation because their goal was not going away. It's not like, oh, I'll just lose weight next month. It's fine. They are pregnant and the months are ticking by, the weeks are ticking by, and they needed my help. I really enjoyed that. And I remember somebody calling me up and saying, oh, I'm just inquiring about sessions. Um, My friend told me that you're a pre and postnatal specialist. And in my head, I was like, no, I'm not. But more and more, as I was training these mums, I realized that it wasn't that they didn't want to exercise. Actually, the opposite. They really wanted to exercise. But there were so many obstacles. So one obstacle being that they couldn't figure out childcare. The other one being that they were exhausted or they were underconfident. They didn't know what they were doing, all these kind of things. And actually, I realized very quickly that it wasn't just about writing a training program and telling them how many squats to do. It was more about empowering them and helping them figure it out. So before long, I left the Virgin Active and I was going to people's houses and I was basically being a nanny and a PT at the same time. So I would hold the baby, I would bottle feed them, I would change a nappy, whatever I could do so that the mum could have that time to herself. And they just were so appreciative of it because that hour or 45 minutes, whatever it was of training was like their spa day, basically. And now being a mum myself, I know exactly how that feels. You just think, oh, it's a bit of me. I'm not mum for once. I'm just me and I'm doing something that I want to do. And so Bumps and Burpees sort of came out of that. And it's actually developed over the years into more of a community of mums and I want to educate them about exercise so that they can go off and do it themselves they don't always need to be with a trainer and I just I love seeing mums realize how much they can do and how strong mentally and physically they actually are and not put into the bracket of oh I'm a mum so I can't do that now I can't do this so yeah it's grown and grown and now I have a team of almost 50 trainers around London and actually we're growing outside of London now and they do exactly what I was doing so they go to clients houses and just help them exercise basically okay firstly I want to say I sort of want to marry you and secondly (laughs) because just everything that you're saying I was like oh my god it's so true there are so many obstacles and you do need someone to come to your house and it is you time and it's very reflective of my own experience so I just think what you're doing is brilliant but when did it actually start Bumps and Burpees itself started in 2014. So I worked in a gym in Chelsea in London where where me and the founder of this gym created Bumps and Burpees and I would encourage clients to bring the baby to the gym and we had all these toys and carriers and bouncers and all sorts of things but it just started growing bigger than the gym and there was men deadlifting these hundreds of kilos and then a baby crawling in between their legs. It just got a bit <laughs> stressful and a bit like, oh, I don't know if they, these two things should be matched. 
So when I left there, I was looking for another studio space. And whilst I was doing that, I was saying to my clients, oh, look, let me just come to your house and I'll see you in your house whilst I find another studio. And within Mm. about three weeks, all of them were like, do you know what? I actually much prefer you coming to my house. So then I binned the idea of a studio and I just packed up my car full of dumbbells each day and I would drive around. And then it wasn't until the Instagram started growing and I would get inquiries for places that I couldn't get to or maybe my diary was too full. So that's when I started recruiting other trainers to be more me, more me's, to, to do exactly what I was doing all around London. And then we're expanding out of London now. But you've just had Alfie yourself. So it must have been really strange to have been doing this business for, what, six years and be so embroiled in the world of pre and postnatal care and also fitness and then be trying to not only balance that business and the needs of all those other mums, but also be going through that whole journey yourself, which I understand from shameless Instagram stalking wasn't that straightforward in terms of your fertility journey. So tell us about that. No, it wasn't actually. It's funny because I think with anything, I worked with so many mums and not all of them had a straightforward journey either, but you just never think it's going to happen to you. I was this person that would help the others through it. So George and I met at university, so we were together for nine years and we got married and then thought, okay, we'll just start trying for a baby and see what happens. And actually we got pregnant immediately the first month we tried, which was amazing. And I thought it was too good to be true. And it turned out that it was. So we sadly miscarried that first baby really two weeks after I found out I was pregnant, so very early. And it was less upsetting. It was more like, oh, God, we really do want this because we realized how, you know, Mm. how sad that was. So we tried again immediately, got pregnant again the very next cycle. So that pregnancy kept going fine. I was having all the symptoms. And just before the 12 week scan, all of our family was going to be together. And we thought, oh, I'd love to tell them when they're all together because they don't all live in the UK and things like this. And so we went for an early scan. And actually, the early scan showed that we'd had a missed miscarriage. And that was awful, because actually, I had to then go through a medical management of that. So essentially, I was induced. And that was very traumatic and physically and emotionally traumatic, because I saw it come out at home and it's something that you just never really forget. So we took a couple of months off trying after that. Obviously, I wanted to just go again straight away. And there was me in floods of tears being like, I'm completely ready. I'm completely ready to try again. And my husband's like, I think we need some time. I'm like, no, but we did. We needed that time to get back to ourselves and to just feel strong again in case it would happen again. And it did. So basically, we we didn't have an issue getting pregnant. Every single time we tried, we got pregnant. But our issue came after that. And I ended up having two more early miscarriages. And then the NHS tested everything and everything seemed completely fine. But I I just kept thinking, you know, I've had four miscarriages now and and they've all been at the same week. Once my body missed it, but I still miscarried at the same week. So something must be happening. So I ended up going privately and having some testing done on my natural killer cells. And it turned out that's what was going on. So my body was attacking the pregnancies. So by the time I'd gone for this appointment, I was actually pregnant again, much to the dismay of the doctor. He was like, I said you shouldn't get pregnant again. But he said, oh, you're probably going to miscarry this one, but let's do some tests on it anyway. Lo and behold, we didn't miscarry this one because he'd got me on some steroids and all sorts of things just in time. So that pregnancy ended up being Alfie. And it actually changed the entire 
premise of bumps and burpees business when it first went into lockdown I remember having a complete meltdown to George saying I am not teaching online classes that is not who I am I want to do in-house personal training I will just wait till the pandemic is over and obviously a week went by two weeks went by and people were requesting these online classes and I thought nope that's just not me I'm not doing it and then one day, I don't know, I just decided, okay, let's ask on Instagram who would be keen if I did a live class. And it came back with a resounding yes. So I did it as thinking, I'll just do one a month or something like that. And the, <laughs> it was just so popular that by the end of the pregnancy, I was doing four live classes a week. And it was amazing because I was getting people in Dubai, in Australia, in the States. And it, I loved it. I, I just felt like I was creating this community of women who all were just wanting to stay healthy and fit and strong and just support each other. It was just so nice. So it's kind of helped me realize that actually I can reach many more people by being online. So the, the personal training side of the business has stayed there. But equally, there's this offer online because personal training is a luxury and it's something that I've always known, but I've never really known how to get around it. But actually, I can now offer much more affordable versions of what we were doing personal training wise. So in case people don't need or can't afford that one on one training there's other options. So having Alfie was actually great because it showed me what I needed and what other people might need. So it didn't change the way I trained people, but it gave me another level of empathy, which has really helped me in my business. Having him has helped and hindered my business because obviously I've got far less time and energy to do stuff now because of him, but he has given me another level of understanding. Did you go into the pregnancy thinking, I will just carry on as I'm currently carrying on, doing the classes, modifying them, et cetera, et cetera. And then let's just see what happens when I had the baby. Like, I mean, after having had four miscarriages, did you have that slight fear of, oh, am I doing too much exercise or that irrational terror of sort of everything that happens when you have had miscarriages? Obviously, at the beginning of the pregnancy, the world was still normal. So I was going to the gym and I actually started swimming. But I was so nervous. So even though I say to clients everywhere, you can still run if you like, there was no way I was running. I was terrified of this baby just falling out of me. I was really careful. But equally, in one of the pregnancies that I miscarried, I stopped exercise altogether because I thought maybe this will help. And it didn't. And so it really showed Mm. me that exercise itself isn't going to cause a miscarriage. But listening to your body is so important. So there were so many days where I'd rock up at the gym and I'd start and actually within 10 minutes, I thought, I, I'm just so tired or I feel awful. This is not for me today. So I got really good at being kinder to myself. And I think we all need to learn that. And I'm almost a bit sad that it took me to be pregnant to, to be able to do that. But before my wedding, if I was knackered, I wouldn't care. I'd be like, you must go to the gym. You must do this class. And when I was pregnant, I was thinking, well, there's probably a reason why my body feels so tired. I'm probably building a lung today or something yeah, like growing that. an ear. <laughs> exactly. So I was much more nice to myself. And I just focused on strength. So I would do cardio, but I would do cardio in the form of strength, if you see what I mean. So I'd do like mm. bodyweight exercises and I'd give myself a bit less rest to get my heart rate up and things like that. But I did a lot of walking. I did a lot of swimming and I just basically took the pressure off. So I exercised when I wanted to and when I didn't want to, I didn't do it. And I just, I felt free. It was 
bizarre. I felt like suddenly I was freed from guilt tripping myself and keeping tabs on how much I'd done. I just made sure that I listened to my body each day. And some days I would turn up at the gym or I'd start working out at home with an idea of what I wanted to do. And actually my body would be like, no, today we are not doing that. And I'd have to change Mm. my mind halfway through. So it was interesting. And I always thought I would be training, lifting weights to the very, very end. And actually, because I was at home, I didn't have access to all the weights. I had two sets of dumbbells at home. And when I got to 38 weeks, I decided, do you know what? I'm too tired. And also it was too hot. I didn't want to do that anymore. So I did a lot more walking, a lot less workouts. And that was fine. That was me. And I just thought, you know what? I thought I would exercise till my due date, but I'm just not going to. I don't feel like it. It's mad, isn't it? Because obviously, Charlie also knows this. I told her I'm now six months pregnant. I did not exercise at all during my first pregnancy. I then had a C-section. And this is another way that I know Charlie. So I work with a trainer called Haley. Shout out to Haley. Mm-hmm. Um, Haley. <laughs> he used to work with Charlie and she just saved my bacon. She's also pre and postnatal qualified and was just, she's amazing. And when I got pregnant this time around, I thought, you know what, I'm not going through that length of recovery again. I would like to try and keep up with the fitness progress that I've made. And some people in the older generation have been a bit like, are, are you still working out? I was like, yep. I'm like, really? Like, yep. Thanks. Like, I get it. I know <laughs> what I'm doing. And it's funny because I do think that there's been a real change, maybe in this generation, maybe even sooner than that, where I think people are starting to realize that exercise and pregnancy is really important just from a like mental state of mind as well as a physical state of mind. Yeah, absolutely. I never shy away about talking about the mental side of things because when you're pregnant, your body is doing its thing and you really have no control over that. And that can feel quite scary and stressful sometimes. And I think doing something like exercise, you're really taking back a bit of control. And those endorphins are so powerful. You just feel on top of the world after you've done a good exercise session. And you know what? Now I'm in it. Motherhood is bloody tough physically. Alfie is 10 kilos, something like that now. And I'm often holding him in one arm. Like, thank goodness I trained my arms because it's so heavy. And you know what? The other week I drove to the park and I was meeting a friend for a walk. And when I got there, I went to get Alfie out of his car seat and I realized I'd forgotten the buggy and the carrier. Baby brain. But I had to carry him around the park in my arms. And that's when I was thanking myself for actually staying strong. And you do not need to be like lifting really heavy weights, but you do need to make sure your body is up to the task, basically. Because as soon as you give birth, it's one of the only kind of traumas your body goes through where you then have to just carry on with normal life. If you had any other sort of operation, you'd be bed rest and whatever. But when you have a baby, you're not going to get much sleep. You have to carry this baby around. You've got to feed it in awkward positions. You've got to pick them up from the bath and all these things. And it's physically tough. So I just think it's like someone coming to me and saying they're going to run a marathon in nine months. And I say to them, okay, cool, just lie down, just rest. And that's it. Then we'll run the marathon. And perfect, we're done. I, I think it's fine. People don't exercise and they're absolutely fine. But you can actually really help yourself if you do work on your your strengths throughout pregnancy. You'll just be in a much better position to deal with motherhood and birth, I think. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And just as you say, there's so many awkward things you do. You're twisting to put them in the car seat and then twisting to get them back out again. And it wasn't until I did a lot more 
fitness and just general strength training that my back just stopped hurting I'd literally had a sore back for about five years <laughs> and then it just went I don't I don't even know how it happened and now just as you said I, I thank myself because I'm like oh actually I feel really strong and this is so empowering but look I'm intrigued because you said that you had a gymnastics background and obviously went straight into sport and then PT etc and I know from personal experience gymnastics is a hugely perfectionist and also in some ways, slightly image-based sort yeah. of sport. You're very conscious of what you look like and your figure and it's leotards and that whole nine yards. So how was it for you as somebody who's probably always been very in control of that image to then go through pregnancy and also the postnatal period? Did you find that you had a different view of your body or how did you manage that kind of body image change? I think that is a very good question because gymnastics is one of those sports where as you said you're in a leotard there's nothing to hide basically and you get judged on how you look so I don't know if you know this but if my leotard gave me a wedgie during my floor routine and I pulled it out of my bum I would get marked down it's things like that (laughs) or if my hair didn't look perfect and it distracted the judges I would get marked down it's so based on aesthetics as well as obviously the skills that you do that you just become really aware of it and everything has to be perfect and I'm so much of a perfectionist that sometimes it presents itself as I am so afraid of failure that it turns me off trying things because I would never ever compete a skill that was half ready never even if I would still get marked on it and you could still do it and land on my feet. If it wasn't tidy and neat and everything like that, no way would I compete it. And I think translates into my life now where I want everything to be absolutely perfect. And actually, especially in motherhood, nothing's bloody perfect, is it? So with my body, I think because I've been through four miscarriages, the doctor said to me, you will gain weight on these steroids. And obviously, I'd already Googled it, like, how much actual weight do you gain? Can I just stop the weight gain by not overeating, etc. And the the doctor said, you know what, you you will, you'll retain water and you will feel a bit puffy. And at the time, I just thought, whatever, give me my baby, I don't care what happens. And it was very funny, because at the time, I was thinking, oh, it's so great. I haven't actually gained any weight on these steroids. Amazing. But now I look back at pictures and I definitely did. But I just didn't care. I think my priorities just completely switched. In my past, uh, if you've had like a massive weekend of overindulging, you could then on Monday morning go to the gym and smash out a workout and then eat salads for the week in inverted commas undo what you did on the weekend and when you're pregnant you can't really do that you can't go and smash out this crazy workout and starve your body of all the carbs it needs so I obviously I didn't do that so I felt like oh I'm just getting bigger and bigger and I just can't I can't control any of it and I think a couple of times two or three I really noticed that I had to have a word with myself and remind myself there's a whole reason why this is happening you're pregnant your little baby's in there kicking away But the majority of the time in pregnancy, I was so surprised because I felt very at peace with my body and very happy to just let it do its thing. And I was always ready for it to come crashing down. And my husband was ready for it because I did struggle with eating issues during gymnastics days. And I think everybody around me was ready for some of that to creep back in. 
And actually, weirdly, when my bump went down fairly quickly, I almost remember mourning it a little bit. And I don't know whether it's because I was training in my pregnancy, my genetics, whatever it was, because I certainly wasn't dieting. Let me tell you that for free. I was eating a hell of a lot. <laughs> but feeding, it's just like, oh, go, go to town. Oh my God, I've never felt so hungry in my life. But my body is a very different makeup now. The weight on the scales might look fairly similar to what it was before, but I have far less muscle, far more body fat, and it's all a bit more wobbly than it was before in a different shape. But only really I can see that, if you see what I mean. Other people are like, oh, what are you talking about? You still you fit into your jeans again. But obviously, I had a baby, and so everything's a little bit different. And I don't know whether it's because I don't have the energy to really do much about it, or actually, I really am okay with it. I think I'm just so impressed with with what my body did. It grew him. It grew Alfie. And here he is. He's feeding off me. And my body is producing the milk to feed him. And I just think it's amazing. And I think I've been very lucky with how my body has recovered from birth. I ended up having a forceps delivery. So I was most worried about my pelvic floor and how I thought Mm. basically I was going to be wearing nappies the rest of my life. But actually, after the first week, basically, I just decided, like, everything was falling out of me. It just felt so strange. And I was ringing my physio being like, oh, my God, I've got a prolapse. I know it, blah, blah, blah. And actually, just giving it some time, everything started feeling a bit okay again and going back to how it was before. And I've done so much work on my pelvic floor. And this week, at seven and a half months, I went on my first run after having him because here's where my fear of failure comes in. I was so afraid of going on the run and realizing I wasn't feeling good doing it or I wasn't doing it very well that I actually just put off going until I was absolutely sure I'd done enough rehab work. So I probably could have gone on a run a good two months ago or something, but I was too scared of feeling disappointed. And so my goal now, rather than aesthetics, it's about being strong again in case I'm lucky enough to be able to go through it again. I don't want to be at a disadvantage because I'm not feeling strong. And particularly for the whole birth process. And of course, I have to ask about that. So you had a forceps delivery, fairly common thing to go through, but such a mixed reaction you seem to get from people who've been through that. So did you have a positive birth experience? Yes. You know what? It's funny because I did. And I'll tell you about it in a second. But when I shared my birth story, a lot of people said, oh my gosh, what a traumatic birth. And I I didn't feel like it was traumatic at all. I felt very safe and looked after and not stressed throughout it. So nearly at my 41-week appointment, I woke up and I had reduced movement. And I rang up the midwives and they said, I'll come in and get checked. And so I took my hospital bag in the car just in case. But I was pretty sure that I would be coming back out and having lunch at home and blah, blah, blah. And because it was the corona restrictions, George wasn't allowed in. So he waited in the car and I said, oh, go get us some lunch and I'll be back out soon. And obviously, as soon as I went into the room and they, they strapped me up to the monitor, he started kicking like he was playing a football match. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, I was so embarrassed. So um, they were like, oh, look, it seems like the baby's all good, but you are a week overdue. We could just get this going. We could induce you tomorrow when you come in for your 41-week appointment. And I was like, oh, yes, that would be perfect. <laughs> Because I was just so done with being pregnant. I was so hot. I literally couldn't sleep. I couldn't cool down. So I was like, yep, okay. (laughs) Then a doctor came in and said, actually, because you've come in with reduced movement, I'd like to induce you right now. Very sensible doctor. And he said, look, why don't you go outside, go and get a sandwich with your husband, have some lunch, and then come back in and we'll start things going. And so I went out and had a bit of a cry. But I was so ready. I was like, yes, let's get this going. 
So went back in and then at the hospital I was at, they were doing the, the balloon induction, which I think is relatively new. And I was really keen for it because there's no hormones. So they checked that I was dilated, which I was one centimeter. So essentially they gave me a sweep when they did that, which mm. will come important in a minute. Then they put this balloon in. Sorry, forgive my ignorance. Is it actually a balloon? Yes, yeah, an actual balloon. Oh there were two actual <laughs> balloons. They put one at the top inside my cervix and one outside my cervix, and they fill them with fluid, with water, and then they leave them in there. And the idea is that you go home for 12 hours, and it, oh and it acts as a little weight, so it helps to open up your cervix. It helps to dilate you. What was really annoying is Alfie was actually engaged for, for like four weeks, but then he became unengaged. Did you even know that could happen? He went back no. up. So, <laughs> he was like, no, mama, I said, I'm staying in here. Yeah, it was bizarre. So the pressure wasn't there to open my cervix enough. But anyway, usually you would go home for 12 hours and you'd come back in and then it would have dilated you enough that they could then burst your waters and then get things going that way. So it's a really hormone-free induction, which I was really keen for. So because I went in for in, uh, reduced movement, they said, we, we can't send you home. So you just have to stay the night here. So uh. they put the balloon in and immediately I started feeling pain and I was saying to the midwives oh my god I'm getting these like real like almost contraction like pains and she was going oh bless you no this isn't labor this is just some gentle tightenings that you get once you've had the balloon inserted and I was thinking oh my god if I can't cope with these how am I going to be in labor this is horrendous so George had to leave because it was the end of visiting hours and they said to him come back in at 6 a.m in the morning and as he was leaving he was like she looks like she's in labor and they were like oh no we haven't even got things going yet this isn't labor I was really in pain so they said do you want some paracetamol I was like okay sure thing (laughs) (laughs) I'll have some paracetamol it didn't touch the sides anyway two hours later my waters went and the balloons came out and that means that you'll be at least three or four centimeters because it's it's big enough to let the balloon out okay you were in bloody labor this is such a lesson in trust your gut. If you think that you are, like yes, it doesn't matter exactly. if they've seen a hundred women, you know yourself better than exactly. anybody else. And to push, because I said, can you check me again? But they said, no, we don't like to check you more than four hours after we've checked you the first time. So I actually suggested to them, because my contractions, or as they said, gentle tightenings, were coming <laughs> um, every 90 seconds. So I had no time to rest. And during the contraction, I could hardly breathe. They were so sore and so intense. So I said to them, can I have an epidural so that I can at least get some sleep before I'm fully dilated and then I can have some energy to push? And they were like, yes, great idea. So they gave me an epidural. And then after that kicked in, they said, let's check you now, see where you're at, and then you can have a sleep and then we'll go. And guess what? They checked me and I was fully dilated. Started pushing because I then couldn't feel anything. Um, of course. So I was pushing and I got him right down and his head was there, but then he turned his little shoulder and got stuck. So he just flipped himself 90 degrees and they said, Look, you can push him out, but it's not going to be pretty because you're pushing out the big side of his head, not the thin Ugh. side. So at this point, I was so tired. I was so exhausted. I was like, Give me a cesarean. Give me a cesarean. I don't want to push anymore. And they said, Look, we're actually going to take you to theatre and we're going to prep you for a cesarean because the baby's been down there for quite a long time. It's getting quite stressed, but we'll give you a, a go on the forceps. And if it doesn't work, we'll do a cesarean. And I was like, okay, fine. Yeah. And actually, it, it, two goes with the forceps and he was out. So it worked out yeah. fine. But, you know, 
Looking back, yes, we were in a theatre, bright lights, there was about 15 doctors around. I wasn't stressed because I think I felt really, just really calm because they were calm and they were informing me what was going on and I just felt like I trusted them. So I think it was about mindset because as I said, when I shared my birth story, people were saying, oh my gosh, well done you for calling it positive when you went through so much trauma. And I was like, you can't tell me what I went through. I don't think that was trauma. It's weird, isn't it? I had an emergency C-section and it was so calm. Like I'm really happy with how it went. And I felt quite embarrassed to say that for ages because I don't know. I don't know what it was. Like I felt embarrassed to say to people, oh, I had a C-section and it was brilliant. When people hear emergency (laughs) C-section, they go, oh gosh, sorry. Are you okay? Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's an emergency, it's not always running down the corridor, rushing you into the Not theater. at all. It's, no. Emergency just means it wasn't planned. So it could yeah. be that it's very calm, exactly. you wait your turn in theatre and off you go. And I don't know, we had music playing in there and it was, it was yeah, really yeah. nice. It's so about framing. It is funny, isn't it? And did you find that afterwards you reflected positively on it? straight away rather than feeling like oh that didn't go to plan or no straight away I just I was so happy to have him out and I think I didn't realize how nervous I was throughout the pregnancy until he was put on my chest and I just took a huge sigh of relief and I just felt so happy and I remember people saying to me the newborn phase is really hard and someone even described it as hell it's just like a pit of hell you never get any sleep whatever And for some people, generally that is. And I actually look back on the newborn weeks as just the best time ever. I loved it so much. The bit I found much harder was the three-month phase. I found that really Mm. tough because I think Mm. he needed more attention. He needed entertaining the whole time. So I think he was an easy baby, but I think we were lucky. I think it's down to the luck of your baby, I reckon, because a lot of people have a hard time breastfeeding, the baby doesn't latch, all these kind of things. And we just struck lucky with Alfie. He gave me a good ride. He's since given me challenges, of course, but at the beginning, he gave me a good ride. I think that's so true. People find different phases easy and hard for whatever reason. And as you said, some people hate the newborn days and they're so awful, so this or that, whatever. And other people love them and then find that actually it's the one phase that they find really difficult. Or like me, I found the baby phase really hard. And then actually the toddler phase, which I was dreading, I've really enjoyed, which has been really strange. I think we can't can't tell anyone else what they're going to feel because I was nervous and and George was ready for me to get postnatal depression and all these sorts of things and actually for whatever reason none of that happened so this leads me on to asking you about maternity leave or rather (laughs) not maternity leave so did you plan for a maternity leave I planned for my maternity leave in terms of my one-on-one clients. So I'd said to them, look, I don't actually know when I'm going to come back, but my plan is to come back towards the end of the year. And actually, all of them were so sweet and took the pressure off me. But what was funny is that because I was obviously running this Instagram account, doubled in size over the lockdown, which is amazing. Really? But I, in the last couple of weeks, I'd got other trainers of mine to take over the classes because I wasn't teaching them anymore and every time I have a class I advertise it on my stories the day before and when I was in hospital I had him on the Monday and I realized oh god on Tuesday there's a class so that evening when I was lying there holding my eight hour old baby I was doing an Instagram story going make sure you join in the class tomorrow at 12 p.m blah 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 
and obviously I hadn't even announced that he was born yet and I was just thinking this is hilarious I've had eight hours of maternity leave and I'm back <laughs> obviously you know I, I advertised the class and I switched my phone off and whatever and I didn't do any actual emails or anything like that but it's hard to switch off. It's really hard. And I actually did a lot of content stuff in the night feeds. <laughs> so 3am mm. would be my peak time to work. But I did find it hard trying to juggle my time because at the very beginning, you can do stuff because your baby does just sleep. and they sleep so much. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, oh, cool. I got loads of time to do this. But suddenly they wake up and I don't know. I always just thought, why can't people reply to my text messages when they've got a baby? Come on, just reply to my message. And now I know. You just can't get stuff done. It's mental. The dishwasher would just stare at me all day and I would just not <laughs> unload it. And it's like, why can't I do that one thing? You just have your hands full all the time. But at the beginning, lots of different campaigns came through, different brands wanted to do projects together. And I would say, yes, 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 I'd love to do that because I didn't want to step foot out of my career too much because with Instagram, my job is very much online. And it does make you feel a little bit like you're missing out or you're going to be left behind. So I was saying yes to all sorts of things and actually really quickly had to retract some of them. And you know what? As soon as you do that, they say, yeah, of course, I understand. And you think, oh, okay, that wasn't so hard. But it's hard to say no. And as we spoke about before or mentioned, I got a book deal during my pregnancy, which was so amazing. amazing by the way. Oh, it's what I wanted for so long. And I got approached when I was 20 weeks pregnant and it was just like, yes, this is perfect. But then it was a bit of a race against the bump. So we did a photo shoot where we had to all be socially distanced. My makeup artist had full PPE on. It was a bizarre experience, but we got it. And writing the book was fine because I was pregnant. I could spend the entire day on my laptop. I didn't have a baby. That was brilliant. But then my due date was the same date as the deadline. So that was perfect. So that was scan and dusted off my shoulders. And then when Alfie was 12 weeks old, they were like, okay, so we're going to start editing this book now. And that's when it all just got so hard. So I'd see emails just ping, ping, ping all through the day. And I think I'll deal with that later. I'll deal with that when he's asleep. So in the end, I would ask my mum or George's parents to come and take Alfie for a walk. And during that walk, I'd have to pump whilst I was writing these emails. And it just it was driving me crazy. And like birth, in the middle of birth, you're like, I'm never writing a book again. And obviously now I'm like, oh, I can't wait to write a second book one day. Um, <laughs> I'm so happy I did it. But I really took on too much. And one of my best friends, she had a baby six weeks after Alfie and she lived on my road. And it was amazing. She is a teacher and I just really noticed the difference in us. I was getting so stressed about things and I was thinking I was stressed about being a mum and I wasn't. I was stressed about trying to do everything else on top of being a mum. And actually, you do need that time. So when friends of mine who are self-employed have asked me, what they advise, how long should they say they're taking, I've said to them, don't give a date. Don't tell them when you're coming back. Say you're going to see how you feel because you just don't know what your baby's going to be like, how you're going to feel. You do want to take a little bit of time because not only is it that cliche of you'll never get this time back with your baby, but you will not give your best self to your job or your baby if you try and do it all at the beginning, because you can't, you've not had enough sleep, you, you've <laughs> not got your brain together, you, you need to give your body time and your brain time to sort of adjust to your new life, I think, before taking on too much more. And that new normal is 
really hard to adjust to, particularly if you've been someone like you, really high achiever. And as you said, like your social media following doubling, you must have felt that real pressure to say yes to everything. And then you think, oh, I'll do this when everything gets back to normal. I'll do this when everything gets back to normal. And that's something that I personally really struggled with, which is that the normal was never going to be normal again. Like it's a new normal. And I said to my husband last night, my God, do you know what? I'm just so tired. I would love to have a day where you just sit on the sofa the entire day and watch films and not have to do anything. And what's quite stressful is that is never coming for ages. (laughs) No, like even if Alfie was taken away for the day by our parents or something... I would still be texting them, is he all right? Or I'd be pumping milk or I'd be doing something. And I just feel as much as I would never send him back, that's something I I crave. That selfish time again. It's just what it's like. When I went on that first run this week, I only went out the house for half an hour. But I came back and I felt like I could conquer the world. I felt like... Yes, that first run, so true. Oh my God, I'd had half an hour out of the house on my own without him. I'd listened to music. I'd got some fresh air. I'd I'd achieved something. And that's the kind of thing that I've learned to incorporate into my week. Doing things that make me feel really good so that I can come back and just be happy and enthusiastic towards him and all sorts of things. Because there's been days where I feel like I've done not one thing for myself. And that doesn't mean paint my nails and blow dry my hair. It literally means sitting down and eating lunch without having him next to me or going to the toilet without rushing back out again to get him. <laughs> it's things like that that I then I realise I'm quite frustrated with him if he's crying or whatever. And I'm not able to deal with the mum life as patiently as I used to be able to so I think I've learned to pop those things into my week if I can life is different now for sure <laughs> it is very different and one piece of reassurance that I will give you is that it definitely does get slightly less completely mad by the time they're about one and a half and that's usually about the time that you start thinking about having a baby yeah speaking from experience But it's, yeah, it's so funny what you said about that run, because I remember and treasure that run all around Streatham Common and Tooting Common, listening to all my old music, like all my pre-mummy music. And I was just like, this is, I feel amazing. And it was just literally like an hour by myself. But exactly as you say, you just feel light. You go out the door and you're like, I'm not carrying a nappy bag. I'm not (laughs) pushing I'm literally not a runner at all. Me neither. Already I'm like, I cannot wait to go out again. I'm so excited. And you know, once I stop breastfeeding, I think that will also help because he won't be tied to me so much. And you know, this all sounds like I don't like being with him. It's more that I'd like to be able to do both I I can't wait to go to an event again or go to a meeting I know with my line of work he can come with me to lots of them but it will just be so lovely to be in that other frame of mind like after this I will feel on a high because I've been using my brain doing something else and even though I'm talking about him (laughs) I'm, I'm not with him and I think when we talk about loss of identity I found myself bumping into people in the street and when I get home I think oh my god did I just talk to them about my baby is that all I can talk about these days god I'm so boring now I used to be interesting and then you start panicking thinking you've got nothing to say you just have to get back into that frame of mind and get your confidence back a little bit and remember that you're not just a mom anymore and I think that's something that I really work hard to remind myself and also remind all the people I work with that there's never such thing as just a mum. you are whatever you were before and a mum. you're both mm-hmm. And also, it's just completely human nature. Like, 
If anybody, if some bloke down the street had a screaming infant attached to them 24 hours a day, that's probably all they talk about as well. Like it's not a unique phenomenon to you, although it feels like that at the time, particularly when you then start talking to friends of yours that maybe haven't had babies yet. You do feel a little bit like an alien. And I, I felt very conscious of how much I talked about my son and like actively tried not to. And now on reflection, I'm oh, that was a bit, why did I do that? But it's that identity shift. When you do things that are a fraction of your old self, it can remind you like, oh yeah, I can't wait to go out for drinks without him one day when we're allowed to. And, you know, go go and do something that's my old self and my old work and things like that. And just remember that you can do both. You can do both, but you can't do all of it all the time at the same time. And I hate delegating stuff on my own business. And actually I need to, because if I want it to grow and thrive, I can't do that on my own because I don't have the time anymore to do it all. So I need to get good at asking for help. And such a good message just for all mums everywhere. And also the other thing that I always tell people is that the worst somebody can come back to you with is just to say no. Like that's the very worst that will happen is someone will say, no, I'm busy. And then you go, okay. That's literally the worst. Yeah, exactly. And actually, usually they really want to help you. Yes. I Um, don't know how. I don't know how. Yeah, exactly. They want want to help you. And actually, when we were packing up our house to move, our best friends came and took Alfie to the park. And actually, we were like, oh, that was amazing. That was so helpful. So I think, yeah, (laughs) make sure that you don't try and do everything yourself because you'll just burn out. And and burning out as a new mum is not fun because you're never going to catch up. So you don't want to burn out as well as that. No, you don't. You don't. It's it's so true. So I'm I'm really conscious of your time. So I'm going to ask you one more question and then we will call it a day. But this is the problem. I could just literally talk to Charlie for another like hour. (laughs) We'll just have to have another call some other time. Just totally unrelated. Um, So I think what I wanted to ask is we talked about who you were pre-babies and you were still really embroiled in the maternity world without being a mum yourself. Did you have any misconceptions about what being a mum would be like? Is there anything that you've changed your mind on since becoming a mum? That's very interesting. I think there's a lot of things that you think before you have a baby, that sort of hypothetical parenting. Oh, I'll never give my baby a dummy or I'll never be that kind of parent that just lets my baby cry in public. Things like this. That's not things that I have said personally, but I think you look at a parent And you don't see what's happened for the entire day before that moment. So, you know, you can see a mum or a dad pulling a toddler away from the playground and they are screaming and the parent is just not even addressing the the tantrum. They're just dragging them away. And you might look at them and be like, oh my God, they should talk to their child and try and help them. And actually it could have been like three days worth of these tantrums and they've had (laughs) enough. And I, I always tried not to judge anyway, but I think even more so now, you just don't know. And even looking on Instagram, even if somebody's being completely honest and transparent about everything, they're still not showing you the whole story because you can't have a camera on you the entire time. And I found I've just started weaning with Alfie and it seems like everybody else's babies are taking to it. And the second I put on Instagram, oh, he really won't take any puree from the spoon, I get flooded with messages like, oh, me too, my baby as well. And you realise, oh, okay, it is, it is normal. And actually, people don't show that because it's not fun to see that on Instagram. Or it's not fun to tell your friends about that bit. You just send nice pictures of them covered in broccoli and things like that. And actually, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you don't see the whole story. So it's the same with fitness as well. So you see somebody popping back into their jeans or back doing running, whatever. 
You don't know how they're feeling, how much work they've put into that. You can't judge someone's end picture by your middle of your story. So I think what I've learned is to go on your own journey. I know that sounds the most cheesy thing to say, but to stay in your lane, take advice from people if you ask for it. Don't listen to it if you don't ask for it, because people love to give advice, don't they? But just do you and your baby is your baby and they do not fit the book. They do not fit what your next one neighbor's baby <laughs> the does. Book. They obviously you read all the books. Your baby does not read all the books. So they're saying to me, Oh, he should grow out of reflux by five months. No, he did not. <laughs> so so then I'm thinking, what's wrong with him? There's something wrong with him. And then the doctors, oh, it's so common. You just judge your own baby or your own self on everyone else's experience. And I think that can just get you really down. So the more I've learned to just read Alfie's cues and to read my own cues and to just trust my instincts, the calmer I felt about parenting. So it's hard to do sometimes. It's easy to give out that advice. But I just think accept that you're on a new chapter of your life. The old chapter was great, but we've turned a page now. We're in the new bit. Turned the page. I love it. And I've loved what you said a little bit earlier on, which is you can't judge an end picture by the middle of their story, if that makes sense. I just thought that was so poignant and really true, particularly in the world of Instagram. I've talked about this with so many guests and a couple of whom are really in the public eye and dealing with really big followings. And I think that's something that they grapple with a a lot, particularly in that mum space. And what you should remember is that you are in control of what you see. So if something, yes. if, if you're following an account, and I always say the rule of three, if you come across three of their posts that don't make you feel good about yourself, you need to block them or not block them, unfollow them. But for now, you can come back to them another time, but it might be that for now, say you're yeah. six weeks postnatal and you're up at two in the morning breastfeeding and looking at models and bikinis on beaches is just not your thing right now <laughs> don't blame you for just take them off you need to follow people and things that make you feel good or they teach you things or they inspire you so I think take charge take control back and follow people that make you feel good I love that and I think it's a really positive way of framing it because I think that you get into a bit of a mode where you think oh I hate Instagram and Instagram is doing this to me etc and actually you're so right that you are in control of what you see and if you don't like something then like just unfollow like it's not personal all accounts of puppies if you wanted and then every time you turn your phone on you just smile so you know I love it I've literally I've had the best hour thank you so much for joining me Is there anything that you want to shout about before you go other than your fabulous book, Bumps and Burpees, which is available now because I have just found it on Amazon so you can buy it. Yes, (laughs) my book is out. It was out just in February, so it's quite new, but it's basically a book for pregnancy. It goes through the first, second and third trimester and also the fourth trimester, which is that first initial postnatal period. So we've got a physio there, Claire Bourne, who I work with a lot. She's amazing and she basically helps to go through the things you need to do to rehab after your birth but the whole premise of the book there's lots of workouts to follow but it's lots of me chatting and the idea is not that right on a Monday you have to do this Tuesday you have to do this it's more if you feel like exercising here are some workouts to do but do not feel pressurized to do them all etc etc so the book is out and also on Instagram um, at bumps and burpees there are live workouts I host one every Sunday morning 
at nine and then there's ones throughout the week by all my other trainers and they're free you can come on and just join a whole group of women doing the same thing as you and just staying fit and strong and we have a good laugh we have fun sometimes Alfie comes to the classes last week he rolled over dribbled all over me I was holding him instead of the weight it was like we just get it done so come and join me and the other trainers over on bumps and burpees if you'd like to exercise from home and just feel good and just feel confident that what we're doing is safe for your pregnancy because as you said people will have a go at you and saying you're doing too much or you're not doing the right thing come to me and we will do the right thing <laughs> <laughs> amazing oh best hour ever I'm like pumped for my Saturday now thank you Thanks. thank you so much Charlie I really appreciate you taking the time to come on this so I will speak to you soon watch the space I think this girl's onto big things <laughs> thank you so much well you made it we've reached the end enjoyed it Drop me a note on Instagram or Twitter at New Leaf Podcast, or better yet, do me a quick rating on iTunes. Have a lovely day, and if you're a parent, have an even better night. Bye, everybody!